Welcome to another episode of the Ulster Rugby Roundup. Joining me, Gareth Hanna, this week as we preview Ulster's first ever Rainbow Cup tie or the returning Jonathan Bradley. Hello, Jonathan. Welcome back. Hiya. How's it going? And Richard Mulligan. Hello, Richard. The elusive Gareth Hanna has actually appeared. Well, or should I say Tommy Fleetwood? <laughs> Hello, you can back up You can back up the golf. That's the thing, uh, Gareth. Uh, no, it's good to be back, guys. Good to see you both, especially you, Gareth. Thank, thank you, Richard. Good, uh, good that we're on a podcast together. It's been a long time for us but we'll have the comic game obviously to look ahead to today as well as plenty of your listener questions through the topics on those uh, a big range we'll have the latest injury news the new rules that are due to be trialed in the rainbow cup uh, and even football's european super league we'll have a bit of a rugby slant on that discussion without further ado the rainbow cup is finally upon us much anticipated rainbow cup dare i say can it come to ravenhill on friday 8 15 p.m kickoff that one is michael sad was very pleased with the late kickoff and uh, his uh, his deadlines but Richard what do you make of this uh, the Rainbow Cup now that it's upon us are you excited? I have to say I think Jonathan and I have discussed it on previous ones that we do have a bit of a little bit of lack of enthusiasm for this <laughs> and I suppose look I think if we didn't have the European Challenge Cup going on at the moment we maybe would have a bit more enthusiasm for the Rainbow Cup but I personally, I don't know how the fans will feel but I personally, Ulster against Connacht, Ulster against Leinster, Ulster against Munster, Leinster against Munster it doesn't really grip me with a whole lot of, oh I can't wait to see that game. Look, Mm -hmm. I'm delighted that I'm going to be hopefully over in Belfast this weekend and get back to Ravenhill after Keenspan Stadium after over a year but I'm sorry, my enthusiasm is waning a wee bit for the Rainbow Cup. I think because there is so much uncertainty around it. I mean, mm-hmm. if you were if you were getting to see Ulster play the Bulls and the Stormers and the Lions in three games and Leinster against them, I want to see the Irish provinces going up against the South African sides. And the Rainbow Cup at the minute doesn't do that for me or it doesn't do that for them either. No, I would say uh, the vast majority of our listeners would, uh, I dare guess, be in agreement with that, Jonathan. With the South African sides not coming over, what way are we structure-wise for this competition at the minute? Ulster have their three Interproof scheduled in, so Connaught and Belfast this weekend, and next month of trips to both Leinster and Munster. Then what? Well, the idea is that then you have games against other teams from the Pro 14, plus everybody gets one game against the South African team. So it's obviously massively deflating for the Rainbow Cup as an entity, because this is essentially meant to be the preview of a Pro 16. We're meant to be seeing what South African teams are going to bring. We're meant to be thinking about all these massive star names that are going to be pitching up in Belfast on an annual basis, the likes of Felici, the likes of Peter Steph de Troyes. And instead, what we're getting is Interpros in front of empty stadiums, which we've probably all seen enough of over the last, whatever it is, eight months. You know, this season started eight months ago with Ulster v Connacht, with nothing on the line apart from the game itself in front of no fans. Yeah. And this is what we have, you know, again. <laughs> so while the Interpros are obviously, and always will be, regardless of what Whatever South African teams come in, the Interpros are the crown jewels of the um, of the fixture list. It doesn't really feel like there's an awful lot of anticipation for this weekend's in particular, which is, you know, if you consider the fact that irrespective of Ulster v Connacht, what you actually have is a Leinster monster game that nobody seems to really uh, be looking forward to. Yeah, it's I came around on the idea of the South African team being in the competition in general because. 
while originally I thought it was financially motivated and I'm always turned off by sport that is solely financially motivated. But the more you looked at it, the more that I thought this is actually needed to redress the competitive imbalance. Yeah, that's exactly And I think that. all of that is a positive, but I don't think we're going to say it with the rainbow up. So I don't yeah, agree it's, it's, it's the right idea at the wrong time. Yeah, you're right, Jonathan, because, I mean, we've seen the arguments recently. I mean, it always comes up now and again, the Pro 12 or the Pro 14 v the Premiership, and it comes into European rugby and the French league and whatnot. And it seems to be that the certainly the English coaches that we spoke to over the past couple of weeks with the European games were kind of alluding to the fact that the Pro 14 wasn't really that competitive as it maybe had been in the past. And I mean, I was chatting to an English journalist at the Northampton game, and he was saying to me, are they being harsh? And I'm going... Well, you know what? Based on the past year, they're not being harsh. Um, it hasn't been as competitive, and probably the best games have been the Interpro games, ironically. And you, you nailed it there, Jonathan, when you said about the South African sides coming in. Yep, there needs that to give the, just give. I'm not saying credibility to the league. I still think the league's very credible. Um, and you have seen a couple of the Welsh sides now starting to come a wee bit higher up the the chart a bit. But the South Africans needed to come in just to give it that competitive edge and give. I mean, what you want to see in, in the Pro 16 is a fully loaded Ulster side going against a fully loaded Bulls side. And that, and that is one hell of a fixture to look forward to. Mm-hmm. The same as Leinster against the Sharks. You know, those are the fixtures that you're really looking forward to. And unfortunately, as Jonathan rightly says, the Rainbow Cup just doesn't quite do it for us. Yeah. So so after these three Interpros, Ulster going away to the, the two other best teams probably in Ireland, they're probably not going to reach some sort of final or anything. Will there be any playoff game for them? Or is that it over then once those games are done? No, it's not like an under 20s competition where you play off to see who finishes 11th and 12th or anything like that. It's uh, it's purely the top two. And as you said there, Gareth, like Ulster couldn't have a worse fixture list because, you know, they can't play themselves. So if you take them out of the argument of who's better, Ulster or Munster, Ulster are going away to the two toughest places that they could be going. Okay. Well, we'll see we'll see what happens down the line for this weekend's game in particular though. People want to know well Nathan Cassidy in particular wants to know what our squad prediction is for this week. Before we get on to that though, we should note that Angus Curtis is back for this game. And while we're on injuries as well, Donal was asking uh, with these potentially meaningless interbrews coming up, might we see a return of of Will Addison? So what what did we learn about the injuries from the, the press conference yesterday? Yeah, press conference was yesterday afternoon. So Dan Soper was talking about Angus Curtis, obviously, um haven't been out since Christmas 2019. So to put that in perspective, like Angus Curtis has been out since before anybody knew what a co- the coronavirus was. Like that's how long he's been out injured. <laughs> Since the week before yeah, Christmas no. 2019. Just an insane length of time to be out with the same injury. Like Addison's obviously different because he had the calf injury, was back fit during lockdown when there were no games and then had the back injury. Uh, so a different sort of journey for him. But both those guys, it's incredible to think how long it's been since we've seen them play, really. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's going to be great great to see because especially with Curtis, like I think people forget, you know, because of the nature of the game that he got injured in when it was one of those sort of shadow sides sent down to Leinster. You know, I think you could forget his role in the squad because like you know he was in the 23 for that bath champions cup game which was only like a month before he got injured you know he was he was involved he was a part of the squad it wasn't like he was just playing in this random interpro where it was a second string side and got injured and it's you know not being his absence hasn't been felt sort of thing and then addison you know addison was an irish international so you know you have him right up there with 
Stockdale, Henderson, now Billy Burns and Rob Herring in terms of, you know, the quality and influence that you have there. So it's it's two important guys to get back. Absolutely. Um, Addison won't be this week from what we're told. I very much doubt that you would pitch him straight back into a semi-final. So you'd probably be looking at maybe that Leinster Munster game, which could obviously add a bit of uh, intrigue and uh, something to look out for if uh, people aren't particularly um, anticipating those two fixtures. Yeah, well, that's exactly it, Richard, isn't it? Like the, those are particularly Will Allison, but also Curtis, do you know that it gives you something really to, because we haven't seen Will Allison Ulster shirt in what seems like forever and for him to be such a top player the anticipation of wondering you know what exactly is he going to be like when he comes back here will he be as good it, it really does add something to those games when they come around it's like as Jonathan said when you think of the time span it's like somebody has been sent to outer space and has done an <laughs> orbit for a couple of times and, and has arrived back on, on planet earth and going what is, what's been going on down here since <laughs> I've been away I think there's a great weight on Angus Curtis shoulders too because there's so much expectation with him and that could be difficult, but you, I mean, you're right, Jonathan. He is an essential, essential part of the squad, and you really want to see him back playing. And if you look at what they may do this weekend, I mean, maybe they'll say, right, we'll send a second string side. They've got the Challenge Cup semi final, and I know. I mean, I listened to the press conference yesterday, and they're saying that this is an important competition. And yes, it is an important competition, but a Challenge Cup semi final, a European competition is much more important and I think you have to bear that in mind. You do not want to risk anybody this week because Leicester Tigers is going to give them an awful, awful test when they go there in Friday week. Yeah, It's an awful position to be in, I think, because you know Dan Soper was talking yesterday about the idea that there are players that play better in a rhythm and there definitely yes. are. Like Ian Henderson, as an example, is somebody that, you know, he's not probably not going to get in a rhythm because he's only going to have a maximum of one game before this but like, he's somebody that I would always look at and say say he gets better the more he plays just yep. as one example and there are other players like that that's something Dan Soper was talking about yesterday this idea that you know the players were off last week so if they rest players this week then that means that they're going to be going two weeks yes. throughout a game and are you going to get in you know are you going to develop a bit of rust over that time going into the semi-final so are you better playing or are you better resting when you've rested the week before because but the cloud that sort of hangs over it all is like the injuries or the sorry the risk of injury in a game that is yes essentially meaningless no, because right. and you, and you, you think back to that quarterfinal the Leinster quarterfinal in 2019 you know the game preceding that didn't matter but you ended up losing Louis Ludic, who was one of the players playing in that game who would have been playing the week after and that's the balance that you have to find mm-hmm. yes I mean, I mean they want to have basically near enough the same side that played against Northampton Saints maybe bring I mean, Henderson coming back into the mix which would be a huge boost you would expect to go to Leicester Tigers because I know Leicester at the start of the Challenge Cup maybe played a younger team against Connacht and and won it and Connacht were, I mean I mean and that's the other side from from Connacht's point of view this weekend the Rainbow Cup to them is pretty important because their last game they basically embarrassed themselves if you like if you I mean, if you want to go that way they went full full whack to Welford and uh, and lost against a very young side so they have a point to maybe to prove in the Rainbow Cup whereas Ulster have got to think. We've got a semi-final in Europe and it's absolutely huge. And what's what's the bigger thing to win, the European Challenge Cup or the Rainbow Cup? I think we'll remember the European Challenge Cup more than we would the, mm. the inaugural Rainbow Cup. <laughs> yeah. So if they have to find that balance, then Nathan Cassidy's asking for a squad prediction. If we start off with the back line, Richard, just how would you go in how would you go into this game in terms of finding that balance and which players do you do you put in there? Mm, yeah, I think you have to go like they did against Zebra, that last game of the Pro, Pro 14 campaign. Um, you bring Angus Curtis in. You like to think he'll come into the into the side. 
yeah. I think you have to rest. I think you have to rest Jacob Stockdale. Well, I think Jonathan makes the, <laughs> it's really difficult. Dan McFarland's probably having the same thoughts around yeah. this. You know, do you give the guys, do you load your bench with a few of your frontline players in case things go awry or, I mean, how important is the Rainbow Cup to them? Uh, it's, it's a difficult, it's a really difficult one when you think about it. I mean, mm. I think you have to load your bench. I think you go with a weak, I think you go with a second string side, if you like, mm. on your line. You, you sprinkle in a few experienced players in there. Um, I would actually put Jacob Stockdale in to give him just a bit more game time because he's only, he's only coming back from mm. from been, been injured. Um, I think you give, you have John Cooney on the bench, perhaps. Give somebody else a, a run at scrum half. You could probably give Billy Burns a rest. Ian Madigan can back up there. Do you throw in Nathan Duke to see how he goes? It's a I think it's it, like part of it as well. And another sort of interesting wrinkle to it is the fact that there's a real split in the Ulster squad looking at it of who's played lots and lots of minutes and people that actually probably need minutes. Like Rick mentions Stockdale. Stockdale hasn't played a lot. Stuart McCluskey... He's played an awful lot more recently, but over the course of the year, probably hasn't played as much rugby as he would be used to. Billy Burns probably hasn't played as much rugby as he would be used to. John Cooney's played a lot. James Hume's played a lot. Alan O'Connor and Kieran Treadwell have played an awful, awful lot. Rob Herring's played a lot. So you've got some of these star names and key, key players that are probably looking a run out, wouldn't want to sit another week out having sat out an awful lot of time during the Six Nations or sat out with injury, whatever. And then you've got guys like Alan O'Connor and Kieran Treadwell, Rob Herring here, never going to say, yeah, you know, I could I could do with the rest. But the reality is that they probably could yeah. because they've been relied upon so heavily, whether it be for Ulster or Ireland. You know, like Rob Herring came, came back in straight off the back of a Six Nations. You know, normally you yes. wouldn't see you guys for two weeks after that. But the way that the season's gone, you were basically coming straight back into, right, you've done that. You've had a successful Six Nations Um personally speaking, but now we need you to switch your focus back to Ulster because there's a knockout European game to come the week after, you know? So, yeah, it's, I think it's an incredibly tough balance. And I, you know, I mentioned that Louis Ludic example, just as something where you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't, because you can guarantee that if you go fully loaded, it's going to be the week where somebody that you're relying upon heavily picks up a knock that keeps them out of a game that's seven days later, you know? But if you rest everybody and get caught cold, then that's going to be what everybody points to is the reason yeah. why you lost. If that line, I think, and then as regards who's had whatever many minutes gives us maybe a clue as to who might play and who might not play, do you think uh, along those lines that Richard mentioned about Nathan Duke coming in, do you think we could see any players like that, really young players, given a, a good opportunity this week, or will it be more senior guys, do you think, coming in? The interesting thing is obviously Alby Matthewson's there as well, you know, so you've still got Matthews in there if you want to give Cooney a break. You've still, the same with Burns, you've got Madigan. But then are games like this not ideal times to be looking towards next season and blooding these we guys? Had thought, we had talked about that before. and Ulster are going to be playing Leinster, their old nemesis. So not everybody's going to be playing Leinster in this competition. And Ulster are away to Munster in the second of the away derbies. If you lose one game in this, you're not likely going to be in the final. Mm-hmm. So... It's again that situation where you've got a Challenge Cup semi-final next week. You want to make a good start in this competition because let's just say that things go awry in Welford Road next week because there's either if Leicester feel their full side as you maybe expect they will do against Ulster and Ulster were to lose, then all of a sudden the focus is well, there's a Rainbow Cup can now be won. So, but if you've already lost your first game, <laughs> you're, yeah. you're playing catch up and you have to play Leinster as your as your next game. So. 
Yeah, like there's every chance that the rest of the Rainbow Cup can be used as an A-team competition, to be honest. Like yes. I'm not saying that everybody yeah. else is going to view it the same way that I do, but no. if you're talking about giving guys chances for next season, I'd be doing it in the later rounds of this yeah. competition yeah. rather than a week before what has become the most important game of your season. Yeah. If you like, I know we always say that, you know, this is now the most important game of the season, but um, it's appropriate in this particular case yeah yes it is. <laughs> there's no question <laughs> well there we go maybe that is a little bit of a clue as to what dan mcfarland may do come the team announcement on thursday but um the bottom line is i suppose that uh, we don't envy the decisions he has to make this week so another thing that makes these rainbow games that little bit more intriguing than they may ordinarily be are the rule changes that are coming in so sorry, Gareth, it's, it's law, law changes. Laws. Oh, sorry, law changes. Apologies. Yes. Apologies. The law changes. What about regulation? Get away with regulation now. Has to be law. Has to be law. Okay. Okay. <laughs> there are three law changes coming into force, and NPCs just ask, can somebody give an idiot's guide to the new rules? Uh, laws, NPC, how dare you? So that we aren't completely bamboozled. So does somebody who, who knows more than I do about this want to, to run through what exactly is uh, being trialled here? Yeah, well, so just very quickly, it's, I suppose, the same as what we've seen in Super Rugby, where I suppose most interestingly from a implementation point of view is going to be the captain's challenge because it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out, how it works, whether it causes much of a delay to the game. But And that's what's the, the practicalities of that? So, as Jacob Stockdale pointed out yesterday in the media, this has been something that Ian Henderson's been dealing with, which may give us a clue to whether he's <laughs> going to play or not this way again. Per um, Jacob giving away more than he was maybe meant to, but anyway. Um, so, for the first 75 minutes of a game, when it comes to try scoring or foul play, the captain can challenge the referee's decision and have him go and look at it. So, sort of similar to what we see in the NFL with coaches' challenges. And then in the last five minutes of a game, they can ask the referee to look at any decisions. So that could be a knock-on in midfield where the scrum gets given to the other team or you know anything seemingly innocuous like that, but that looms large in the last five minutes. And is there any limit to the number of times this can happen in a game? Yes, yeah, so it's, it's one per match, so it is, yeah. And I suppose interesting given recent events in, uh, in Ulster games, given that Leinster game a few weeks ago, is the, is the red card replacements so not dissimilar to uh to the black card that you have in uh in gaa a player will be replaced after 20 minutes which is something that obviously will have a huge impact on games given the prevalence of red guards that we've seen in the six nations in the pro 14 games changed early and then more of a i suppose more of a gameplay implementation is going to be the Dropout. So basically, if you're held up over the line now, rather than getting a five meter scrum where you keep possession, um, the other team gets a dropout. So a goal line dropout. Sorry. Mm-hmm. So if you think about Leinster as an example, the way that Leinster attack so close to the line and it has this feeling of inevitability that there's going to be a try, whether it takes one minute or whether it takes seven minutes. Now, if you're held up over the line, instead of just getting the ball back and going again and again and again and again and again ad infinitum, the other team basically just gets to blast the ball as far away as they can. So if we we think about how these rules might work, I mean, I'm sure you guys have probably watched some of them in in Super Rugby, Richard. If we start with that final one there, the, the dropout, 
what's the what the thoughts on that? Certainly sounds like it's going to make it a little bit more exciting rather than, as Jonathan says, just thinking, oh, well, we're going to score here eventually. Yeah, I suppose if you look at how effective Leinster and Ulster, just um, even months, I mean, a lot of clubs now are, you get your line out, drive them all, and as Jonathan says, inevitably you're going to score a try. That, that's been taken away. So are you are you actually de-weaponizing some of these clubs who are very, very good at it? Um, I mean, Ulster, Ulster wouldn't probably be in a Challenge Cup semi-final if it wasn't for the being able to continually go like that. Leinster might not well be in a European Champions Cup semi-final if you hadn't been able to go like that. So mm. I think that's the one that will make it. It's, it's been, having seen it in the Super Rugby, I think it does it does work well. As Jonathan says, you can whack the ball <laughs> way down the pitch and, and let them come again. So it does work well. Um, but I think it, it de-weaponizes clubs who have very potent mm. pack. Yeah. It definitely adds a bit of jeopardy because it, basically if you're going for the line, from close in, like you better be sure that you're going to score now, you know? So those 20, 25 phase moves where it's people from a meter out picking and going, picking and going, picking and going, you can get close to the line, but if you try and get over it and don't, then you're starting again, basically. From much further up the pitch. Yeah. Yes. Potentially you could see teams utilizing it and then you could see more back play being involved off the back of those either side. You could see, it's going to make, Teams think, but look, if you think of Ulster, John Cooney's try against Northampton Saints, Ulster's forwards, bang, 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 and then all of a sudden they did something that they didn't normally do and they give the ball out the backs and John Cooney scores a try. So it'll make teams show a wee bit more inventiveness, and I think that can only be good for the game mm-hmm. um, at the end of the day. I think it can, I, I think it's probably one of the laws that probably is is innovative, if you yeah. like, um, yeah. and will... And will cause the less, and will cause the least problems mm-hmm. of implementation. The mm-hmm. other two, I'm not too sure about. Yeah. We'll definitely see more fights between scrum halves and hookers whenever they're trying to peel the ball out of the uh, <laughs> yes. out of the back of a mall that's going forward. <laughs> yeah. So the in terms of the captain's challenge, I suppose the as we've already said, the uh, the interesting bit will be just how much it slows the game up and. The, the difficulty for Ian Anderson this week, thank you, Jacob Stockdale, will be uh, when he uses it. You you don't want to waste it too early and then regret it later on. Or So that's an interesting decision for him to have. So uh, Stuart K. Martin then asks on the red card trial, will this improve the game as a spectacle or will it simply condone deliberate foul play? I think this that's, is the I think the debate that everyone's having yep. with themselves. That's like, that's right to the nub of the issue. Like, because... Whenever they brought this in in Australia, the first red card, the first red card that became a twenty-minute red card, was the most nailed-on act of foul play red card that you will ever see in your life. So it was the worst possible start for this law trial <laughs> because it was the kind of red card that just deserved, you know, it deserved yeah. proper sanction all day long. It wasn't a uh, Andy Warwick, shall we say, debatable red card that changed the uh, completely changed the face of a game in the first half. It was like it was a proper old school red card. Um, so that's the danger. Like anytime you reduce the sanction for dangerous play, given what we all know are the inherent dangers of rugby and the battle that rugby is having with high contact, contact to the head, concussions and brain injuries needs to be weighed up massively, yeah. massively, just with a great deal of care. Mm-hmm. And 
I don't like I don't know which side of the fence I actually come down on this because I can see both sides of that argument of so many games it feels like have been ruined even in the last four months where the game has been changed irrecoverably by an early yellow card or sorry early red card and you think of you know you, th- you think about the six nations and not to denigrate Wales's achievement but like I don't think Wales would have won the Six Nations if this law was in place for it. Yeah. So you're talking about history, really, in terms of who's winning, you know, the most prestigious tournaments in the game, the crown jewels of the game. But yeah. player safety supersedes that. Player safety, mm-hmm. given the sport that it is, has to supersede everything. But equally, <laughs> I also think that an awful lot of these red cards that we've seen, the intent isn't there. It's about changing behaviour. And I think the personal cost of a, of a red card is still a deterrent to change that behavior so that people, I suppose, just learn to, in those instinctive split-second moments, their natural reaction is to go lower mm. or to, you know, maybe not make that clear out or maybe not lead with the arm because the personal cost is still there, even if it doesn't detract from the game, detract from your own team as much, detract from the spectacle as much. Mm-hmm. Jonathan's right. I mean, the current, I mean, if you look at the, past few weeks there have been fewer cards for high tackles or shoulders going something tackling around the neck that type of thing compared to what there was eight weeks ago where you had red cards and you had a red card nearly every single game or you had two yellows or three yellows and i think the players have realized yes we have to go lower and whatnot and now yes the andy warwick one's a very good example Debatable red card, okay, he gets given a red card, but at least he can make a replacement later on. And if it's early in a the game, then it makes for a better spectacle. But if somebody has absolutely cleaned somebody out, and if it's your son you're watching playing at out half and a back row forward completely comes through and potentially a dangerous tackle, yeah, and that player, it's only going to be 20 minutes, I think... It's such a difficult one because I think the safety, as Jonathan says, safety is the most important thing. And we're starting to see that coming through now. And, and now they've been given the encouragement to say, well, look, you know what? If you, if there's somebody on the other side that is very, very good and we can take him out of the game, let's do it. And I think that's that's the wrong message to put, to put across. I think it's the one law variation that you won't see maybe, maybe being being sanctified or sanctioned, sorry, sanctioned. I think it all comes down to the, the TMOs, I think, are having too much involvement in decision-making. The referee can make a judgment on the pitch himself. Yes, you can refer it. The TMO can refer it. But I think the referee should have the final say. The referee should have his discussion and say, right, it's a yellow card. And then all of a sudden, the TMO is going, do you want to have another look at it? Do you want to have another look? Do you want to see where his elbow is? And I think that the TMOs influence it too much. I think, And I think you've seen the likes of William Barnes and, and Luke, uh, Luke Pierce do their own thing. And I think it's much, much better. Roman Poitz, another one, does his own thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, it's uh, the three rules will certainly give a little bit of interest to these Rainbow Cup games coming up just to see how they, they work in practice. So other questions we had in were surrounding uh, outstanding player contracts. Now, there were two more cleared up uh, last week. Cormac is at Chukwu just days before his ACL injury was confirmed and Bradley Roberts as well confirmed to sign in new contracts for Ulster and uh, I think probably all the fans will be in agreement that those two are are very well worthy of their new contracts, particularly Bradley Roberts, Richard, coming in from Rainy Old Boys from nowhere, really, and uh, 
really impressing. Bradley has been, I remember the first night he came on and I thought, who's this guy? Because obviously been away from it. I hadn't seen our hair talent. And of course, it hasn't been a lot of club rugby anyway to know. But it was like a breath of fresh air. And any time he has come on those last few minutes of a game or the last 10 minutes of a game, he's made an impact. And I think he's a really good one to have. And he was a really good find. Um, and then you, you mentioned Cormac there. I'm just so disappointed for that guy to, for to get the injury. I mean, he came on against Harlequins that night in the, in the last round of 16 or the round of 16. And he made such an impression in the short period of time that he came on. And we were so looking forward to seeing him. Certainly, probably in the Rainbow, I mentioned the Rainbow Cup. We were probably going to see a lot of him in the Rainbow Cup. And I'm just, I'm just broken hearted for the guy because he has so much promise. And it's good to see Ulster have nailed down two young guys um, for the future. And that bodes well, once again, for the province mm-hmm. and Irish rugby too. No, absolutely. Jonathan Cormack's injury just couldn't really have come at a worse time for him. Like you think this weekend, you mentioned the locks that have played so many minutes. He'd, he'd probably been playing this weekend, you would expect. And then getting a few more opportunities before the season's over. And now all of a sudden he's facing months out. Yeah, absolutely. Because just with Carter being out, um, Henderson having been out and away with the Six Nations, you know, we have said that Connor and Treadwell have played so much. And the next person on the depth chart, I suppose, we, you know, we've seen Matty Rago in there. And um, I suppose notionally be named as the lock replacement. Because the next guy in your system, from what we've seen in the A games, is Conor McManaman, and he's still only on a in the sub academy. So yeah, I think Cormac would have had <laughs> he would have had a good good number of games between now and the end of the season, whenever it is. So yeah, horribly timed. But I think he's shown he's shown plenty over the past number of weeks, and probably shown it quicker than people maybe expected, given his background and how much we were told in terms of 15s rather than 7s that he would have to learn um, so he's obviously shown an aptitude for picking that up and I think even Roy Bass mentioned it on the, the BT Sport coverage of one of the games like if you had seen him apparently when he first was in doing lineouts and things like that you would not have thought that he would be in the team this quickly so yeah it's something that Dan Sober was talking about yesterday you know just using it as an opportunity to keep learning where you can keep picking up those things and the line out was something that he mentioned that uh, will be a particularly particular area of focus and just I suppose coming back in a better place than you are is all you can do and it's something that you know we've seen with it was mentioned with Angus Curtis something Luke Marshall's spoken about before so you know I guess thankfully there are more experienced players there that you can that you can lean on and talk to about the experience of going through such a long rehab and especially at such a, such an inopportune time. Yeah, absolutely. So the questions just fairly quickly here that we have on contracts. First, Niall McDonald. Uh, McDonald just wants to know are the likes of Matthewson and Badis leaving at the end of the season? Those two and Lou Ludiger, the three players with, with the outstanding contracts. And should we expect any more new players to come in ahead of the new season? Yeah, Cal McCall as well. Um, okay. Just as another one that doesn't have a contract yet. Um, no there are players there that I think in an ideal world Ulster would have wanted to keep, but the way that the finances are at the minute, there just isn't the luxury. So I don't think it's a case of you're going to see see those guys replaced by anybody else. You know, you'll see more more opportunity go to the younger guys that we've already seen. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. You know, if Fadas drops out, it's not a case of where to his you know, we need somebody to take those minutes because those minutes can go to Ethan McElroy as an example. Mm-hmm. 
So on that vein, Anthony English wants to know, assuming Matthewson is going to leave at the end of the season, who becomes the number two behind John Cooney? Obviously, there's Dave Shanahan there, but he asked, do you think they should take a chance on the likes of Duke or Finlay, Richard? Yeah, you want to be building strength and depth. So these are the guys that are coming next. And I suppose poor Dave Shanahan once again, how often have we seen him this season? And it's disappointing for him because when he he's one of those guys, I think as as Johnny said, when he gets to run of games, he's actually a very talented young player. And he just hasn't had the opportunity this year. And you feel you feel he should be the number two if, when when Matheson goes. Um and then you bring the other guys in underneath him, um, to give him to give them experience and game time that they need as well. But it's it's a tricky one because you don't have a lot of experience there. So therefore, do you take the risk with them? And you can get a couple of bad experiences can have a detrimental effect on somebody's um, mental state going forward. So I would actually, because I was always very hard on Dave Shanahan when I was reporting back home. And when he gets a run of games, he's very, very, he thrives on it. And I think he should be given the opportunity to step back up again because he hasn't had the opportunities this season that he probably deserved to have. I think he will be as well because it's like, if you look at whatever you want to say about how Ulster have done this season, whatever way you want to judge it, Dan McFarland, I think, looking at it from the outside, runs his team as a meritocracy, essentially. Like, if you look at the guys that have got minutes, it's because they've earned minutes playing for the A team. They've earned minutes when they come off the bench and that's... Again, I'll use the example of somebody like Ethan Macker. You know, it's not Ethan. Ethan Macker hasn't been plonked into the team and said, you know, been anointed as the next back three player because he wasn't. He wasn't in the academy originally. He was in the sub academy. You would have had Aaron Sexton would have been viewed as ahead of him. But look at how much he's played. And it's because when he has played, he's earned minutes. So Shanahan's there. He's on a one-year deal. Matt, the logic behind signing Matthewson was essentially that you thought Cooney was going to be away with Ireland for basically the entire season, which is not panned out that way. So Matthewson sort of becomes a luxury. So you go back to what you had before, which is Cooney is your number one, Shannon is your number two. And it's not a case of saying, right, will we give Doak and Finlay a run? It's a case of saying, right, you need to get ahead of Dave Shannon to ultimately get ahead of John Cooney and you have to earn that I think one and of the equally Dave Shannon has to continue to earn his status as number two yeah I think just one of the big difficulties this year has been there's been less rugby played um, due to the pandemic um, and I know there's a few A games have been played here and there but there's there's fewer opportunities for players to get the run out and this came through when you were chatting to the English sides in the Challenge Cup. Um, the coaches were saying, you know, we're rotating our sides because we can't get any game time for the guys who are second and third in the packing order. And that's why they maybe fielded a weaker side in the round of 16 or will maybe fielded a weaker side in the Premiership this weekend to give players game time. And I think that's been one of the problems this year, that players haven't been able to get the game time that they, they need, whether it be at club level or in, in an A game. So we'll chat a little bit as well then about the Ireland women's team. Now they, of course, had the chance to get into the Women's Six Nations final last weekend when they played France, although uh, I think the, the general consensus was that their chances of winning that game were slim to none. And so it proved they were beaten 56-15 by France and that puts them into the third place playoff this weekend, which is at uh, 12 o'clock on Saturday away to Italy. So 
Richard, if we're thinking about the other teams in Ireland in particular, trying to bridge the gap to England and France, because there is quite a big gap there in the women's game, just how do they go about it? What like what needs to change for them to to really close in on those top two teams? I think that the big difficulty is that you're talking about professionals against amateurs. Um, England are a professional setup. France have a professional setup. Some of the other Southern Hemisphere side, women's sides have professional setups. And there has been a lot of chat over the past few weeks about them looking at that in Ireland and, and, and offering full-time contracts to some of the players, some of the, um, the top players, obviously. And it's a financial thing as well, because obviously finances are not as, uh, as, as strong as they have been in, in recent years due to the COVID pandemic. But that's the only way that you're going to be able to, to bridge that gap. And, if you look at this this year's Six Nations, it's panned out exactly as you would have expected it to. England will play France in this condensed competition. England will play France in the final. Ireland will play Italy. And you've got to remember, Italy are ranked five in the world and Ireland are ranked eighth in the mm-hmm. world. So they, they're they both on a bit of a par, you could say, to a degree. And then Scotland and Wales are that bit further behind again. I mean, Wales are, Wales are ranked 10th. Scotland aren't even in the top 10 in the women's world rankings. Ireland will get it very difficult this weekend, I think, against Italy. I think they might be able to win it. I think they've shown enough. They were they were pretty disappointing last week and they were disappointed in themselves. But you didn't we didn't expect them to win that game. We wanted to see how how far away they are from those yeah. top two teams. And we saw how far they are away. And there has to be more investment in women's sports. I think we saw it in the Northern Ireland women's football team there, Gareth. I mean, what fantastic scenes it was last week. And that's what you want to see with, with Ireland. They've won a Grand Slam before in the Six Nations, so they've got to do that again. But there has to be, there's got to be a more professional approach to the whole thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that probably then the investment and financial side of that's probably that's key. When you're talking about approach professionalism. That's it, exactly, yes. Yeah, and in terms of what the, the Northern Ireland women's football team did, I mean, appointing Kenny Shields, like a really top-class manager who's managed Kilmarnock in the, the right. Scottish Premier League. Like, he really is a, a, a high-class manager to get him in has really turned things around for, for the Northern Ireland team and the FA team because the qualifying for the Euros, even when he took over maybe three years ago, was just pie in the sky. Like, it wasn't even... Yes. Like I was at the press conference when he was announced and I don't think qualifying for a major tournament was even really talked about or asked about because it was sort of thinking, well, what can we do to get close to that? But like, we'll not actually do it, but can we get it a wee bit closer? And so yes. it's, just, it's, uh, and, it's been crazy. And I think, and I think having, having that profile of coach, that high profile of coach and showing that you're serious about it, the, the, the girls themselves and the women who are playing are realizing, well, you know what? They're taking this really yeah, seriously, and and they will react to that, and, and and you get the knock-on effect, and you bring in good coaches with different ideas, and you would always like to have a always like to see a homegrown coach, but look, if it if it means bringing a coach in from overseas just to bring something different, a different dimension to how they play or whatever, then do that, and I think the girls, the girls in the sport will respond, and I think you saw it. I mean, I think Northern Ireland women is the prime example. The girls responded to, well, like, you know what, they've, they've been serious about us. We're, we'll take, I'm not saying they weren't taking it seriously. They were going out and doing their best, but they yeah. went out and did it better and yeah. proved their point. And they're, in the, and they're in the Euros finals next year, which is absolutely brilliant. And you could see Ireland women's rugby doing the same thing and developing them through and been one of the top four teams mm-hmm. in the world. 
Yeah. Well, fingers crossed for, for their future and uh, for that game, as we say, against Italy at uh, 12 o'clock on Saturday afternoon. So before we go, we have a couple of questions on... Well, we had a couple of questions on the Leicester game, which we're going to leave until next week or else we'll have nothing to talk about. And a couple of other questions on uh, a certain other sporting development this week, which is uh, dominating uh, even the news schedule, let alone the sports schedule around journalism at the minute. Sam asks, are Ulster joining the Super League? And Christopher too, probably more pertinently asked, do you think European rugby could form a Super League like football is doing right now? And as Boozer was asked, do you think it'd be a good idea? So just... Do you think this is something that could succeed in uh, European rugby, forming this sort of uh, this sort of European league, as it were, for the top clubs? Would that redress those those balance issues that we have in the the Pro 14? You think that's a potential solution? Definitely not. Uh, <laughs> I've, been, I've been absolutely amazed by the amount of news. I mean, it's headline news this morning on BBC. Um, Sky everywhere is talking about, and all the papers this morning, all from, it's just, I mean, it's front page news. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. And the, I think the, the backlash to it shows you just how big a problem it would be. In rugby terms, if you recall the Champions League, or sorry, the Champions Cup a number of years ago, England and France had threatened to break away and form their own competition. And, and mm-hmm. you, you then got a reduced format from 24 teams qualifying to 20 teams qualifying. And and that did redress the situation a wee bit. Um, and I think the other big thing was that you qualified by finishing where you finished in your league, not by, if you think back to the old, the old Champions Cup, there were three Irish provinces always guaranteed their place in it. The two Italian, at least one of the Italian sides, if not both Italian sides were, guaranteed a place in the in the European Cup um, and it meant that Leinster, Munster and Ulster always qualified and if an Irish province happened to win it they got an extra place the odd time so Connacht got into it the odd time now and again mm-hmm. so they brought it down to 20 clubs and I think that did help because you do, you do ultimately have the cream coming through to the Champions Cup all yeah. the time it's been interesting this year um with the format, um, due to the pandemic, they reduced it to only playing four games in the pool stages, if you like, and then it all stopped. But the big discussion at the moment is that people actually like this new format where you qualify for the Champions Cup as you normally do, or you qualify for the Challenge Cup, and then you play your games, and then a split, and you go into one competition or the other, which is why Ulster in the Challenge Cup and not the Champions Cup. But they like this knockout style to it. Um, maybe that's something that will be up for discussion before a super rugby competition. Yeah. But to get back to the question that you asked, Gareth, sorry, rambling there as normal. <laughs> I think it, it wouldn't be good for, for rugby if they had an elite competition. Um, it would, it's like the pro 14 going to the pro 16 with the South African clubs. We were having the discussion around that before. Are you in danger of having the Irish provinces and South African clubs dominating the pro 16 rather than just the Irish provinces and the others falling behind? Do the Italians fall further behind than where they are at the moment? And I think in a in a European setup, if you were to have just 16 elite clubs or 12 elite clubs even in, in, in rugby, it's not going to work. It's, it just wouldn't work. You would have too big of gaps. I think if you're talking about a super rugby competition, it has to be worldwide and not, and not European-based. Mm, yeah. 
So we'll not expect any major changes then to the... Uh, the I, I don't think so. <laughs> no, don't think so either, nor uh, nor would, would many want it, I would say. So So there we go. That's about all we have time for this week then, Richard. Many thanks for joining us once again. It's been great to have you on that little bit more recently. No, it's been good. I've really enjoyed it with the guys now. It's uh, It's been good to chew the fat and uh, talk about a bit of rugby. And I've been lucky enough, I suppose, recently to have been able to get to see some games because they've been here in England. Uh, I'm looking forward to catching up with some of the guys on Friday night uh, at the Keynes Fan Stadium at Ravenhill. Um, it'll be good. And then I'm at Leicester next week as well. So well, sure these, away are, these away draws are working out all right for me. I'm quite happy. <laughs> I think you've maybe given a wee backhander to the, the, the rollmakers there to keeping keep Ulster in England as often as possible. But yeah, the final's going to be in your back garden. Yeah, <laughs> the perfect Gareth. We could all you could all come and sit in the back garden because our restrictions are a bit different. I'm allowed to have maybe ten people in the back garden, you know, so it wouldn't be too bad. <laughs> oh, very good. Well, look, thank you once again for for joining us, Richard. Uh, and we will be back, of course, next week then to look back at Ulster's first ever Rainbow Cup tie at home to Connacht and uh, probably more so I dare say ahead to the Challenge Cup semi-final at Leicester so for this week from Richard Mullion Jonathan Bradley and myself Gareth thanks for listening bye all